Well, we're in the fourth week of our Out of the Box Christmas series. First week, uh, Alex taught us that we should expect God to show up. And the second week, he taught us that when he does, he works in the miraculous. Then last week, usually when that happens, we involve, uh, we become stretched as a part of that process. And so today, we're going to continue with that theme. We're going to look at the kind of Messiah the Jews expected Jesus to be and how God acted out of the box in sending Jesus and what that means for us. You ever had a situation where you expected a particular outcome and it turned out totally differently than you expected and that difference was disappointing to you? That would be the case with my mom birthing me. (laughs) She had two boys, and when she got pregnant, she hoped that I would be Deborah Joy. (laughs) And so when I was born, she was disappointed. And then when my younger brother, Doug, was born, oh my goodness, she just burst into tears because she realized she was never going to get her Deborah Joy. Uh, We had a friend and a a former colleague in one of my other churches that was a great guy, good friend. It was the business administrator of our uh, church staff, and he loved to talk about investing and the money he was making, and Linda and I had set aside some money, and so we said, would you be willing to invest our money? And he agreed, and things went great for a while, and he said, I found this stock that is really undervalued. It's gone way down, and I think we should invest in this stock because I think when it goes back up, we're going to make a lot of money here. So he did, and as I recall, it wasn't very long after that that the company completely tanked, went bankrupt, and we lost all the money we had invested in that stock. And I can just remember that sinking feeling of going, oh no, this did not turn out the way (laughs) I had envisioned it would turn out. Oh man. Maybe some of you have, uh, have registered in an online dating service, and you're out and you found somebody that you thought was going to be a perfect match for you, and you started talking with them online, and then you got the courage to actually meet them in person, and once that happened, you realized, oh no, (laughs) this is not what I thought it was going to be, and it ended up in big time disappointment. Well, you know, in this series, We've been opening presents uh, every week, and so I'm going to open a present in a minute. Um, this, was, this present was a big disappointment to the recipient of the present, but before I tell you about this present, do you remember the presents that have been opened so far? You remember the first week Pastor Holly brought the kids up, and you remember what was inside the package? Fruitcake, Fruit cake, yes. 
And then the second week, there was a big, big box in the back of the middle. What was in that gift? Eli, yeah, Alex's boy. And then last week, let's see, Sarah and Caroline opened a present. Remember what was in that? Stretch Armstrong. Well, today, I am going to open this gift. And this was a gift that I gave to my wife, Linda. And I just want to say right up front that this was not my best moment as a husband. It is pretty embarrassing to actually show you what I gave her. Uh, but this was, this was the gift that I gave Linda for Christmas. I know, that is, that is so bad. And I could try to convince you that my heart was right, that I didn't want her to end up stranded on the side of the road someplace, but I know, terrible, terrible gift. When she opened it, she gave me the nastiest look. Like, I cannot believe you're giving me this Christmas present. Well, uh, during the time of Jesus' birth, uh, the Jews had an expectation that they would get a gift, a Messiah, and they had a particular kind of Messiah they wanted to receive, and as I'm going to explain, they ended up being very disappointed in the kind of Messiah they received, just like all these other illustrations that I've given you. Now, in order for us to understand the kind of Messiah that the Jews wanted, I want us to look at a couple of prophecies about this coming Messiah from the Old Testament. There are hundreds of prophecies, but I want us to look uh, at Psalm, uh, this is Psalm 2. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, or that word anointed literally means Messiah saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. How about another one from Psalm? This one, Psalm 72, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. So the picture here is that the Messiah would crush the oppressor, that he would laugh at his enemies, that he would rule and reign in righteousness, that he would be this, this kind of political leader that would make 
the nation of Israel become prominent again. That the city of Jerusalem would become the city of God and that Israel would be the ruler of nations. So that's the kind of picture they had of this this kind of political king, warrior that would lead them and free them. Now, to be fair to Scripture, there are other prophecies that give a different kind of picture to the Messiah, but they gravitated to the kind of picture that we read about. And if you really understand their plight, you would have a lot of empathy for them. You know that during this time, they were under Roman occupation. Life was not good for the Jews during this time. Historians equate it with uh, the time in Nazi Germany. People were tortured. Public crucifixions. I mean, thousands of people were killed. Jews killed by the Romans. The taxation was oppressive. And so you can kind of understand why the Jews would want to have a Messiah that would rule and reign in righteousness and just nail those Romans for their brutality. Okay? So against that backdrop, let's look at the Christmas story and the story of Jesus. You know it well. The Christmas story in Luke talks about that there was a decree sent out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be taxed. And so Mary and Joseph made their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Understand that that decree was all about another way to extort money from the Jews. So this trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem Uh, was not a vacation. It wasn't a business trip. This was a forced journey, and Mary and Joseph were grinding their teeth the whole way, thinking, I can't believe these dirty Romans getting more of our money. And of course, it came at a terrible time when Mary is very pregnant with Jesus. So they show up at Bethlehem, the innkeeper doesn't have a place. Best he can do is go to the barn, the stable. Jesus is born, laid in a feed trough or a manger. So when you think about this king, this Messiah king that would rule the world, not a great start. Jesus in a feed trough. And then when he's a year old, Joseph is told in a dream that he needs to get Jesus out of Galilee, and so he takes them to Egypt because he feared for Jesus' life because of Herod's jealousy. So now for the first few years of Jesus' life, he and his family are basically refugees. They get forced away from their homeland and figure out how they can survive in a foreign land. After King Herod dies, Joseph takes his family back to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a 
nondescript dot on the map in Galilee. Population, 400. This was not a place that would ever make it on the places-rated almanac. Okay? Nazareth was podunk city. People were poor, agricultural. Nothing about Jesus' hometown said, this is where the Messiah should come from. So Jesus grows up around his dad's carpenter shop. Then when he was age 30, he launches his ministry. And you know, early on in his ministry, he's back in his hometown and he's asked to read the Old Testament scripture in his hometown synagogue. So Jesus reads this description of the Messiah and then he very boldly and dramatically says, these words are about me. I'm the Messiah. And the people said, we know you. You grew up with our kids. You're not the Messiah. And they got angry, and they led Jesus out to the edge of the city to throw him off a cliff and kill him. So you get the picture so far? Jesus' birth... Jesus becomes a refugee. Jesus grows up in this podunk little hick town. And when Jesus launches his ministry, he experiences rejection and anger at his audacity to say that he is the Messiah. What a great start for the king of the world, right? (laughs) It's like, uh, this isn't the script we would write. But Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. People were healed. People were miraculously fed. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. His popularity grew. The crowds increased. And people began talking amongst each other, saying, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is the one that will free us from our misery. If you look and study the ministry of Jesus, you see this question is always kind of hanging out there. Is he or isn't he the Messiah? And there were people on both sides of that fence. Invariably, as Jesus was questioned about that, his response was to talk about the kingdom of God, to to help people understand that what he was issuing as the Messiah was not going to be a political movement, but it was going to be a spiritual kingdom in which people would surrender their hearts and lives to the authority and rule of God, and he would rule and reign. And that is the the throne, the territory of this spiritual kingdom. But they just didn't get it. 
they just didn't embrace what he was saying. So even after Jesus has three years of teaching about the spiritual kingdom, that is a kingdom of grace and sacrificial love, and even after he demonstrated that in the most loving, incredible, powerful thing in all the world to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins, and even after he was raised from the dead, after all of that, all of the Gospels end, and then the book of Acts begins with, and this amazes me, with his followers saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, now are you going to help us nail those Romans? I mean, Jesus has got to be saying, seriously? Are you kidding me? Have you not been listening to anything I've been saying for three years? (laughs) So what is the deal? Why can they not get the picture? I think the answer is because they had this little box that they had Jesus in. They had an understanding and a desire that he would fit their expectations, that he would be this political leader. And they just couldn't understand that Jesus was going to be an out-of-the-box Messiah. He wasn't going to fit their expectations. 2,000 years have passed. We've had all this time, we've had the revelation of Scripture to understand. We can see that the most accurate depiction of the Messiah in terms of a prophecy comes from Isaiah 53. That's the picture of the Messiah that Jesus lived out. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus chose the harder way. Jesus chose the way of the cross. Jesus would save the world not through political power, but through sacrificial love. Jesus was an out-of-the-box Messiah. Any of you old-timers ever heard of an old gospel song? He could have called 10,000 angels. Any of you old-timers ever heard quite a few you sure I uh, 
I love this song. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior, so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him. He's to blame. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. That's the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. So the question I have for us today is this. What about us? Do we get it? Do we understand? You would think after being able to see how Jesus lived his life, how Jesus died on a cross, everything he taught us, you would think that we would know that to follow Jesus means that we would live in this cross style. That we would choose love over power. But sometimes I wonder. Sometimes it seems to me like we still want to take the easy road. Sometimes I think we want power. Teenagers are really good at this. They love to sort of flex their independence muscle at you, mom and dad, and they love to say, I don't have to be what you want me to be. I can be whatever I want to be, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Sometimes we get so infatuated with power that it spills over into our evangelism methods where we seek to win people to Christianity by letting them know that they're wrong and they're a sinner and we've got the evidence to prove it. Sometimes at home, men control their wives and quote scripture to justify it. Or maybe it's the other way around and the woman wants to wear the pants in the family. Sometimes at work, managers who are Christ followers, instead of humbly seeking to serve their company and the people that they work with, just sort of push everyone out of the way so that they can climb the ladder of success. I see this love of power, especially in politics. I see people who get really fired up and say, we got to get our guys elected so that we can accomplish our political agenda. Understand, there's nothing wrong with voting. There's nothing wrong with participating in the political process. But friends, be careful. Don't put your trust in how much political power you can wield. 
Ultimately, that is not the solution to the biggest problems we face. Want some good news? Here's the good news. Just as Jesus was an out-of-the-box Messiah, we, too, can live our lives a better way. We can see Jesus' example, and we can seek to pattern our lives after him. We can experience the forgiveness and the reconciliation that comes through his sacrifice, his death on a cross for our forgiveness. And we can embrace his teaching that says if you really want to live, then you must die. You must die to your own self Sovereign ways. If you really want to be great, become the servant of all. The most powerful, life transforming force in all the world, Jesus taught, is God's love. He was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He was brought up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three brief years, he was an itinerant preacher. He gathered a group of friends about him and he taught them his way of life. He had no credentials but himself. He was proclaiming a message and living a life. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never raised an army. He never married or had a family of his own. He never owned a home. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did any of the things that we usually associate with greatness. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends left him. One denied him. Another betrayed him in the hands of his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial and was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Looking over the nearly 2,000 years that have come and gone since his death, he is still the central figure of this human race. When we try to sum up his influence, we can say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever been built, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the leaders and kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life.
Jesus, today, our hearts are full that you came, that you didn't stay distant, that you didn't stay removed, but you came. You were not the kind of Messiah that others wanted you to be. But you lived and you taught and you died. And Jesus, your life has changed the world and has changed us. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to worship you in this moment. We love you. We praise you.